0: We turn in God's inspired word this morning to Isaiah chapter 51. Isaiah 51, we read the first 16 verses. Hearken to me, all ye that follow after righteousness, ye that seek the Lord.
1: Look unto the rock when ye are hewn, and to the hole of the pit when ye are digged. Look unto Abraham your father, and unto Sarah that bare you, for I called him alone, and blessed him, and increased him. For the Lord shall comfort Zion. He will comfort all her waste places, and he will make her wilderness like Eden, and her desert like the garden of the Lord. Joy and gladness shall be found therein, thanksgiving and the voice of melody. Hearken unto me, my people, and give ear unto me, O my nation, for a law shall proceed from me, and I will make my judgment to rest for a light of the people. My righteousness is near, my salvation is gone forth, and mine arms shall judge the people The isles shall wait upon me, and on mine arm shall they trust. Lift up your eyes to the heavens, and look upon the earth beneath, for the heavens shall vanish away like smoke, and the earth shall wax old like a garment, and they that dwell therein shall die in like manner. But my salvation shall be forever, and my righteousness shall not be abolished. Hearken unto me, ye that know righteousness, the people in whose heart is my law. Fear ye not the reproach of men, neither be ye afraid of their revilings. For the moth shall eat them up like a garment, and the worm shall eat them like wool. But my righteousness shall be forever, and my salvation from generation to generation. Awake, awake, put on strength, O arm of the Lord. Awake as in the ancient days and the generations of old. Art thou not it that hath cut Rahab and wounded the dragon? Art thou not it which hath dried the sea and the waters of the great deep, that hath made the depths of the sea away for the ransom to pass over? Therefore the redeemed of the Lord shall return and come with singing unto Zion and everlasting joy shall be upon their head. They shall obtain gladness and joy, and sorrow and mourning shall flee away. I, even I, am he that comforteth you. Who art thou that thou shouldst be afraid of a man that shall die, and of the Son of Man which shall be made as grass, and forgettest the Lord thy Maker that hath stretched forth the heavens, and laid the foundations of the earth, and has feared continually every day because of the fury of the oppressor, as if he were ready to destroy? And where is the fury of the oppressor? The captive exile hasteneth that he may be loosed, and that he should not die in the pit, nor that his bread should fail. But I am the Lord thy God that divided the sea whose waves roared, the Lord of hosts is his name. And I have put my words in thy mouth, and I have covered thee in the shadow of mine hand, that I may plant the heavens and lay the foundations of the earth, and say unto Zion, Thou art
0: my people. So far we read this morning. We turn to the instruction of our Heidelberg Catechism this morning in Lord's Day 1. The first two questions and answers of the Catechism. What
1: is thy only comfort in life and death? That I, with body and soul, both in life and death, am not my own. But belong unto my faithful Savior Jesus Christ, who with his precious blood hath fully satisfied for all my sins, and delivered me from all the power of the devil, and so preserves me that without the will of my heavenly Father not a hair can fall from my head, yea, that all things must be subservient to my salvation. And therefore, by his Holy Spirit, he also assures me of eternal life and makes me sincerely willing and ready henceforth to live unto him. How many things are necessary for thee to know that thou, enjoying this comfort, mayest live and die happily? Three, the first, how great my sins and miseries are. The second, how I may be delivered from all my sins and miseries. The third, how I shall
0: express my gratitude to God for such deliverance. Beloved in the Lord Jesus Christ, it's appropriate
1: as we begin anew our instruction through the Catechism that we understand the place of Heidelberg Catechism and Catechism preaching, because such has certainly fallen into disrepute in our day, we are one of very few denominations, if any, that regularly preach through the Heidelberg Catechism. So, we have to understand why this long-standing tradition, is it merely tradition?
0: The scriptural ground for systematic instruction
1: in the truth of Holy Scripture can be found, for example, in a passage such as Luke 1 verse 3 it seemed good to me also having had perfect understanding of all things from the very first to write unto thee in order that is systematically most excellent theophilus and in second second Th- thessalonians chapter 4 the apostle paul instructs his spiritual son timothy to continue in the doctrine which he has been taught, for there will be many who despise sound doctrine. The doctrinal instruction of the Heidelberg Catechism is of tremendous importance today to the life of the church. We must have sound doctrine because without it the church perishes. We must live that doctrine without any question, but without that foundation, the church is lost. We may be thankful for the summary of sound doctrine given us in the Heidelberg Catechism, but we ought to notice the Catechism is not merely an objective confession. The Catechism is not a textbook of systematic theology, of reformed dogmatic. The Catechism is a personal account of the truth
0: of the Word of God. That's why the Catechism is so beautiful too.
1: Because the Catechism is a personal account of the Christian concerning his or her salvation. That's why the catechism preaching, properly done, is so rich. The catechism is sound doctrine, not because the catechism itself is infallible, but because it sets forth as a living confession the truth of the Word of God. And therefore, we preach that truth As we expound our catechism, preaching must always be preaching of the Word of God, whether of a single text or a group of texts, and the latter is really what we have in the catechism. The Word of God contains the richest comfort for his struggling church on this earth. To the prophet Isaiah, and thus to all of us who stand as his mouthpieces, the faithful Jehovah speaks in Isaiah 40, verses 1 and 2, Comfort ye, comfort ye my people, saith your God. Speak ye comfortably to Jerusalem, and cry unto her that her warfare is accomplished, that her iniquity is pardoned. For she hath received of the Lord's hand double for all her sins. And so, with the Catechism as our guide, it's our privilege to proclaim to you the comforting truth of the Word of God this morning under the theme, Our Only Comfort. We consider its meaning its character
0: and its assurance. What is comfort? Comfort is a very beautiful
1: idea and a scriptural term and idea. It's a concept that we can develop from the Word of God. Comfort in general is that that state of mind according to which I'm aware and sure of a very favorable reality. And that over against something very unfavorable. That's comfort. And I point you to two passages that demonstrate that idea. The first in the chapter that we read, Isaiah 51 verse 3. For the Lord shall comfort Zion. He will comfort all her waste places. And he will make her wilderness like Eden. And her desert like the garden of the Lord. Joy and gladness shall be found therein. thanksgiving and the voice of
0: melody. We dwell in waste places. In the wilderness, that's the reality. And the wilderness is a place of desolation and death, of much trouble and sorrow. That's the wilderness. That's
1: the Bible's description of our lives in this world. And over against that unfavorable reality, the Lord will comfort Zion. Over against that suffering and sorrow, they shall have joy and gladness, thanksgiving, and the voice of melody. And then, to call attention to one more passage, The passage that I used as the call to worship this morning, Second Corinthians 1, reading verses 2 through 4, grace be to you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforteth us in all our tribulations that we may be able to comfort them which are in any trouble by the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted of God. Again, that comfort stands as a contrast against tribulation and trouble, something favorable over against something unfavorable. And the positive idea of comfort is that I have that knowledge of this great good that I can put over against the evil that surrounds me. Now we have to be careful that we understand that comfort is not just feelings.
0: Feelings come and go. I can feel good at any given
1: time and then I can feel miserable. If we view comfort as a mere feeling, then we cannot answer the question, what is your only comfort?
0: What do you say? I feel that I belong to Jesus has to be more than a feeling. Comfort is knowledge. Comfort is a consideration of the mind.
1: Oh, to be sure, it's more than intellectual knowledge. It's also confidence. So you understand, I trust, comfort's a matter of faith, isn't it?
0: Christianity is more than doctrine. It's joy and life.
1: Doctrine without life and joy is dead orthodoxy. When the Lord comforts Zion, joy and gladness is found there. That's because the Christian comfort is more than a decision of the mind. It's a matter of the heart from whence flow all the issues of life. The comfort of which the instructor speaks, the only comfort in life and death, is concerned with that which eye hath not seen nor ear heard, neither had entered into the heart of man to conceive. It is therefore this good that can be placed over against all the evil by the mind of faith.
0: And again, the object of faith is not feeling. The object of faith is not emotion.
1: The object of faith is always the God of our salvation as he has revealed himself in his word through Jesus Christ. And that's evident from the approach of the catechism. The truth is presented in this question and answer not merely as a science, but as the spiritual knowledge which is life eternal. This is life eternal, said Jesus in his high priestly prayer, John 17 verse 3, that they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent. And the question of the catechism is personal. Is that spiritual knowledge yours? What is your only comfort in life and death? You know, as Christians, we might at times speak impersonally. We might at times refer in our speaking and preaching to the child of God. Speaking in the third person. But ultimately, the gospel is very personal. In fact, too personal for our old man of sin and too personal for the carnal element that sits under that preaching. Because the question is not, what is the comfort of the child of God? That question's easy to answer. Intellectually, we all know the first answer of the Heidelberg Catechism. But when you lie on the bed of affliction, when you face troubles in your family or in the church, the question is not, what is the Christian's comfort? The question is, what is your only comfort? And then we answer that I, with body and soul, both in life and death, am not my own, but belong unto my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. And that answer is an answer of certainty. No, the instructor in the catechism does not live in the illusion that every member of the church on this earth can answer that question this way. And that's going to become clear when he treats the keys of the kingdom in Lords A. 31. The answer to this first question of the catechism is given only by the true spiritual seed, those who have
0: faith in Christ. The catechism in its treatment of our only comfort, has nothing for the unbeliever. No comfort whatsoever. But the living member of Christ's body
1: is called to a conscious confession and a confession of the living truth of your only comfort in life and death. And the Catechism describes this comfort, first negatively and then positively. And the negative part of my only comfort is that I am
0: not my own. I am not my own. That's first. That's a wonderful confession. Is that confession yours? No
1: natural man, no unbeliever, will say that. This confession is itself the work of God's grace. A confession that will only come from the mouth of the Christian. Because to say that I am my own is the very principle of sin.
0: That's what Adam said when he fell. God created him to serve God with his whole being. And to set forth that truth, God said, you may freely eat of
1: of the fruit of all the trees of the garden, but
0: of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, Thou shalt not eat of it, for in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. And Adam, tempted by the devil through his own wife, said, I'm my own. I'll do as I please. That's what sin is all about. And how wonderful
1: when the sinner is so turned by the power of God's grace that he now says, my only comfort in life and death is that I am not my own. You understand that means that my
0: body, as well as my soul, belongs to Christ. And that means, too, Christ answers for me before God. Christ paid the price for my sin. He bought me. Me, who hated Him. Showed it by the way I lived who opposed him with all my being. He bought me. That's the confession of Lord's Day One. With his life he bought me. I'm his.
1: That means my thinking is subject to his
0: word. My will seeks his will.
1: I'm His. Do you say that? That I am not my own, but belong
0: to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ? That's your living confession? To belong to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ, is the the positive aspect of that comfort. I'm His. The comfort that Christ has given us
1: is all comprehensive. That's the character of our comfort. That's evident from the fact in the first place that the question is, what is thy only comfort? The instructor doesn't speak of a great comfort or a chief comfort because that would make comfort something relative. Then there would be many comforts, but but among them there's one that's the greatest.
0: The question isn't what is your chief comfort. It's what is your only comfort. This comfort is all or nothing. Nothing. You have this comfort, or you have no comfort, only despair. The world with its empty pleasures cannot comfort us in the day of our sorrow. Its riches mean nothing to us when our souls are grieving.
1: The best of the world's food isn't appetizing when we're suffering from a stomach virus.
0: The friendship of the world cannot comfort us. The only comfort the world can give in the face of our trials and afflictions is, bear with it, this too shall pass. Well, a certain event is going to pass. And then there will be another one. And another one. And another one. And that's our experience, isn't it? Even our religious practices and our Reformed doctrine
1: are themselves unable to give us an only comfort in the face of our trials. The child of God says, I have one only comfort.
0: I belong in body and soul, in life and death, to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. This comfort belongs to the child of God exclusively This comfort must be everything. Or you have nothing. I'm not my own, but belong to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. In life and death. Yes, in all comprehensive comfort.
1: You know, it might be easier to understand this if If this comfort were only set over against death, death is the ultimate evil, says the flesh. You notice how the world extends all its efforts in the attempt to eliminate death?
0: They have no comfort in the face of death. But the flesh says there's all kinds of things to comfort me in life.
1: I have my wife, my friends, my possessions, my good job, some money in the bank,
0: investment, nice home in a comfortable neighborhood. thing is, what do those things mean in the face of some of the trials that we face and the sorrows and death? Yeah, many there are who speak of comfort in death. We might probably call them Sunday Christians. They're Christians on Sunday. Part of
1: the time, they're Christian. They come to church to seek comfort for that future when they face death.
0: But the rest of the week, they don't need God's Word. They don't need their Christian faith. Sunday Christian. That's not the catechism. That's not the Christian. Christian
1: doesn't merely say, the Lord to whom I belong saves me from eternal death, will bring me to heaven someday. The Christian says, I belong to Christ
0: in body and soul, In life and death. That means very clearly, this life is also a continual death. That doesn't need to be emphasized, does it? That's our experience. And the reason this life is a continual death was well
1: stated by an aged saint that I visited years ago when he was on his deathbed.
0: He had been diagnosed with terminal cancer. And he stood before the question whether to
1: attempt to extend his life on earth by using what we might refer to as as the use of medical heroics, or whether to say,
0: Thy will be done, Lord, I am ready to come home to Thee. And when I asked this godly saint, What is this life to you? His answer was sin. Sin. We can't escape it. Do you see it for yourself? This life
1: is nothing but the evil of a continual death.
0: And that evil is, first of all, the guilt of my own sin. I'm
1: sinful, and that makes me guilty before God. That that continues to add to my guilt. And guilt makes me worthy of condemnation, everlasting death. Every sin, whether of thought, of word, or of deed adds to the charge which makes me worthy of condemnation.
0: But over against that, my only comfort is that I belong to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. He paid for it all. And though my
1: sins testify against me and my conscience accuses me that I have grossly transgressed all the commandments of God and kept none of them, and am still inclined to all evil. And that accusation is true. Nevertheless, I know that I am righteous before God.
0: That's Lord's Day 23. Why? I belong to Jesus. That's why. In the second place, this life is a continual death because in this life
1: there's the corruption of my sinful flesh. The tremendous power of sin within me that I have to constantly fight against. and over against the knowledge of that corruption, I have one only comfort, that I belong to Jesus, who delivers me from the power of that corruption, and so preserves me, that without the will of my heavenly Father, not a hair can fall from my head, yea, that all things, even that corruption and sin, mind you, must be subservient to my salvation. My only comfort is so all-comprehensive that it not only overcomes the evil of life and death, but more, it presses it into its service. And knowing this, I can face death, not as the enemy that it is, but as the way through which my Savior leads me to everlasting glory. Because in death I have an only comfort. I belong
0: to Him who destroyed the power of death for me. you believe that? I know that I am not my own, but belong to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. In body and soul, in life and death. Is that your assurance? Its assurance comes by the knowledge of a true faith.
1: Question and answer two How many things are necessary for thee to know that thou, enjoying this comfort, may us live and die happily. Three. The first, how great my sins and miseries are. The second, how I may be delivered from all my sins and miseries. The third, how I shall express my gratitude to God for
0: such deliverance. It's necessary to our comfort.
1: It's essential that we know
0: how great our sins and miseries are. We don't need a special week
1: of self-examination four times a year for that purpose. It's appropriate before the administration of the sacrament It's appropriate for approaching the table properly that we do so. But we ought to examine ourselves daily
0: to find sin that needs to be repented of. Now it makes a world of difference how your sins are revealed to you.
1: If the devil reveals your sins to you, he leads you away from Christ.
0: He wants you to focus on yourself.
1: But if God reveals your sins to you through His Word, He leads you to the cross, to the blood of atonement and assures you that your sins are forgiven for Jesus' sake. And then in the second place, we're called to fight against sin and to live unto Christ.
0: Romans 14, verses 7 and 8. For none of us liveth to himself,
1: And no man dieth to himself. For whether we live, we live unto the Lord. And whether we die, we die unto the Lord. Whether we live, therefore, or die, we are the Lord's. I'm not my
0: own. I belong to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. Well, there are those
1: whom you meet that are always
0: sure that they belong to Christ. I'm a Christian, they say. Yet you cannot tell it by the way they live. Again, we go back to those
1: Sunday Christians we talked about earlier. Christians by name.
0: But this is the confession of the Christian. I'm not my own.
1: I belong in body and soul, in life and death, to my
0: faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. That's life to me. How do I know
1: that I belong to Jesus? I know by the Word of God and the testimony of the Holy Spirit in my heart. That's the knowledge of faith. And the two belong together. I don't know only by the Word of God. How could that be? My name is not written in this book. The Bible only says that the sheep belong to Jesus believers, and so How do I know that I belong to that flock of Christ? I don't know either by the testimony of the Spirit alone. If all I have is this subjective feeling that tells me that I belong to Jesus, how do I know it isn't the testimony of the devil deceiving me?
0: So how do I know that I belong to Jesus Christ? This is the way.
1: The Spirit testifies with my spirit
0: that I am a child of God. He testifies through the word of the Gospel. And faith lays hold of that Gospel. He doesn't write my natural name in this book. But he draws my spiritual picture there with unmistakable clarity. In this word is a picture of the sheep of Christ. Do you see yourself there? There are three aspects of that picture. First,
1: do you know how great your sins and miseries are?
0: That's right, are. Even now. You know that? You know the sinfulness of your sins. Secondly,
1: do you put your confidence in Christ? for time and eternity, knowing Him as the only deliverance from all
0: your sins and miseries? And then finally, there's a third aspect to that picture. Do you
1: seek to express your gratitude to God for that deliverance?
0: Do you desire to fight against your sin and to overcome it? The fruit
1: wrought by God is that we become sincerely willing and ready, henceforth, to live unto him. And that means we are united to Christ in all things. We are united to him in, in all the spheres and phases of our life in the midst of this world. We belong to Jesus Christ in our marriage relationships. In our marriage and family relationships, as husbands and wives, as parents and children, we say, Lord, what wilt thou have me do?
0: We say the same in school, boys and girls. And in high school, young people, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? If I simply do what I want, I fall into sin. Show me thy way, O Lord. I am thine in body and soul, in life and death. We belong to Christ in the workplace. Whatever our work might be. We belong to Christ in the church and in our relationships in the church. We belong to Him in our weakness, in our
1: trials, in our sorrows, in our dying.
0: We belong to our faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. You say that, don't you? I, I, I am not my own but belong in body
1: and soul, both in life and death, to my faithful Savior,
0: Jesus Christ. Confess that. Live in that consciousness. Live by faith in Jesus Christ. Amen. Gracious Father, we thank Thee for Thy Word
1: and for Thy work, the wonder work of Thy grace, taking us from the bondage of sin and death, uniting us to Christ by a living faith, and giving us to make, as our
0: confession, my only comfort is that I am not my own, but belong in body and soul,
1: in life and in death, to my faithful Savior, Jesus
0: Christ, in whose name I, we pray. Amen.